everybody, welcome back to Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu. My name is Gabe Estel. I'm here with my wonderful co-host Dennis Levi Leach and Jonathan Getz. How's it going, guys? Hello. All right. This is episode number eighteen. One eight. One eight. Good stuff here. So we made it to eighteen, boys, and we're going to talk about being eighteen tonight. And We've got some other stuff here. A lot's happened since we talked to you last time. Um, I want to go ahead and start it off then with the lead-off portion. Um, a few topics here in the news. Obviously, the big story coming out of music this week was when Kanye West interrupted Beck. To, to screw, well, he interrupted him, uh, but he didn't say anything. Right. Right. Um, so it was kind of this meta Kanye thing. I, I don't know. Um, for, I, for one, wasn't really that offended by it. Um, I, a lot of people saying, you know, that, you know, uh, it's so disrespectful and, and what have you. Um, at this point, I've just kind of accepted the fact that that's what that guy does. You know, he's, some... he's, he's on his own planet, planet, yeah. planet Kanye. And I, uh... He's pretty oblivious. Yeah, I just I liked how Beck handled it really smoothly and was just like, "Oh yeah, buddy, I need help. Come on, come on up here." It was like, like a really nice guy, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was he played the situation right, and um, I you know I, it was all about Beyonce, and I, it's like the second time I think he's like really said stuff like sticking up for her. Beyonce, like, do you really think? Got- to win an award <laughs> do you think yeah, if it he, was danzig up there he would have gone up there <laughs> <laughs> but it's little beck you know <laughs> that's a good yeah. no he chooses his opponents wisely yeah. taylor swift you know yeah. i think there was like some european award show a few years ago too uh it was like the mtv the music video award the video whatever they are mm-hmm. for europe and um he interrupted some band up there as well. I think that was even pre Taylor Swift. So, I mean, it was a dickish thing to do. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, I, I don't get that outraged about it, I guess. I, oh, about um, outraged at the outrage. And yeah. yeah right. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's a show. I, I mean, first of all, handing out awards for music is kind of uh, silly to begin with, but then like yeah, arguing over who exactly. should win these silly awards oh, is yeah. even more obnoxious. Um, it makes even less sense. Yeah. Well, and it's not the first time anything happened back in the seventies, uh, in the country music awards when your Charlie rich was the, was the presenter and the award for, I don't know, best song or best album. It went to John Denver right. and he mm-hmm. opened the card and read it and saw it went to John Denver and like pulled out a lighter and like lit it on fire. Wow. It's, it's the best burn ever, man. It's... Wow. <laughs> I've seen that, dude. It's awesome. Great. <laughs> we'll we'll yeah. post that on the website. Yeah, I didn't know John Denver was so divisive um back then. I mean, I I guess that yeah. was like uh that was kind of in the throes of outlaw country. It'd have been like 74, 75. So, yeah. yeah. And Charlie Rich is awesome. So <laughs> So yeah. But um yeah, I, I just, I, don't, I just, I don't get that pissed off about it, you know. Just, it, it. I guess maybe if I was younger and and you know more and just angrier about what I liked and and just more assertive with what I liked, I uh, I probably would, you know. But 
I, well, and it's interesting, you know, there's the whole idea of of bringing uh, race into it and, and why, you know, they're, like, apparently the Grammys don't televise, obviously they don't televise, like, 80% of the Grammys that they hand out on a given year. Right, yeah, best um, best solo and things like yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, and so apparently they don't televise a lot of hip-hop and R&B, which would blow my mind because it would be, like, such a huge viewership. Yeah, right. Um, because it's like the, been the most popular music for the last twenty years, um, and and I did look back at the awards for for best uh, best album, and since like nineteen ninety, I think there's been like six or seven black artists who have won, which seems a little low. I I don't think that there's like a race thing. I looked up how to how to vote. All you, if if you want to be a part of the the a voting member of, for the Grammys, you just needed to have an album that came out in the last five years. Uh, with at least 12 songs on it on iTunes and you can apply to be a voting member. <laughs> wow. So, and, and may, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe uh, R&B and hip hop fans uh, are less likely to be a part of that Academy uh, or, or to listen um, uh, to that, to that much. Uh, so I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's, I'll give the guy this. He keeps things at Kanye. He keeps things. Oh yeah, man. No doubt. He's great for a press, a press clip. He he knows how to, because it's like, you know, the show's never really going to be broad enough to satisfy everyone. It's really all about marketing now. Anyway. I mean, Mm -hmm. the real show begins on the internet, you know, that's where Mm -hmm. like, can this moment be turned into a hashtag? Yeah. That's what every award yeah. is now, you know. Yeah, and good, good for the Grammys because otherwise, uh, a lot of people would have said, uh, woke up the next day and been like, "Oh, the Grammys was last night." Right. <laughs> so they were yeah. they were probably digging it. Yeah. Um, a couple other things then. Um, James Shields signs a four year deal, kind of the last big free agent yeah. uh, to come off the board four-year deal with the Padres. I know all of us were keeping an eye on him. Uh, I guess the Cubs were in the mix, but um, it didn't. They didn't want to give that fourth year. Right, right. I don't blame him. He's 33, I think, right? Yeah. Yep, you are correct. So, yeah, you know, he might have, because I think he was originally looking for like five years. Yeah, oh yeah, when at the beginning of the offseason, yeah. Yep, he was looking for five years, nine figures. Yeah, so he might have priced himself out a little bit, um, and then and then finally, <laughs> major offseason players, the San Diego Padres. I didn't think I would be saying that a year ago. Um, swoop yeah. and, <laughs> and get the deal done. So they, I don't know. Um, they've they've officially won the uh, James Shields Will Myers trade. Yeah. Uh, I, so for, I, forget about the Rays and the Royals. Uh, the Padres win that deal. Yeah. I think they're officially going to finish third place in third place as well. Still, yeah, yeah. These signings, yeah, yeah. So, so Shields is gone. Um, One other thing I want to talk about, or two other things actually. Um, ACDC, like obviously they've always been popular. Um, You know, always, but you know they've 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 been popular for decades now. You know, huge tour. They're playing. They're playing Wrigley Field. Yeah. I saw that. That would be awesome to see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just I was, I guess I was, I wasn't surprised that they were going to tour again because it had, you know, it had been in the works. They have a new album out, despite 
you know, all the they've been through a lot in the last year with Phil Rudd and Malcolm. Um, but uh, just, yeah, I'd never never imagined ACDC playing Wrigley Field. But uh, so the, I, at, uh, the baseball field, football field, it's officially replaced the amphitheater, right? You know, otherwise uh, they m- yeah. may have played Tinley or something like that. Right, right. Um, and and so yeah, it's it's a very in vogue thing to do because I think they're doing it. They're playing Dodger Stadium as well. So okay, yeah, bunch of big shows. Yeah, it yeah. seems that way. Yeah, it seems that that's that's the preference um, for for a lot of bigger acts. Like um, there's Foo Fighters are playing Wrigley this summer as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, coming so. pretty common. Although nobody's ever played Kaufman. Arrowhead gets gets a show or two a year. Right. I think the Stones have played Arrowhead before. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, so there was that. Um, and then uh, one other, you know, I'm looking at these these uh, rankings. These preseason rankings are starting to come in, and I've <laughs> excuse me, take it a little bit with with a grain of salt. But um, the consensus seems to be the Nationals, like the ones I've read at least. That that uh, that Washington at least on and this is all on paper. Yeah, they've been champions on paper. I think a few years running now. Right, right, and they never had it really enough to seal the deal. Um, you know, they always lose in the playoffs. So I don't know. Um, you know, people are are picking among our three teams. A lot of people are underestimating the Royals, or and I shouldn't say underestimating. I don't know if, what what they're they're undervaluing the Royals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would be a better way to put it. Like, a lot of people are saying, you know, either there's no way they're going to repeat. Yeah, I don't there's no way they'll be good eight, again. Yeah, 82 games. Yeah. Yeah, I, it, it'll be hard uh, to recapture that magic. Uh, and when you think that, yeah, it wasn't until that last the last couple weeks of the season and, and, um, and then just being on cruise control right into the World Series... Uh, that took everybody by surprise, and nobody even then still believing that they were the in the top two teams in the in baseball. Um, yeah. yeah, once once the buzz wears off and and you come back around to February, I, I I'm not surprised, and I don't think they're surprised. And hopefully, it keeps them it keeps that uh, that proverbial chip on their shoulder, I guess. Well, it seems like everything they lost, they replaced with something that could be inferior. You know, like. Morales replaces Butler, you know. Um, Volquez replaces Shields. Like, um, I think that they're they're hoping that the upside of the of Morales uh, would is is greater than the ceiling that Butler seems to have already hit. Okay, that's a good way to put it. Morales is younger, I assume, or maybe not. No, I think they're about the same age. He might be a year older, year or two older. Yeah, and with the Cubs and the White Sox, you know, um, I I, yeah, I haven't seen this, but I, I thought I heard it quoted on the radio that the Sporting News was picking the Cubs to win it. This, really? The series? Yeah. Wow. That's insane. Uh, wow. And I, I, granted, I, I think they're going to be improved. Um, I, I, I've, I said the Cubs would be improved before they even made all these moves. You know, I, I thought they were going <laughs> to, excuse me flirt with 500 this year yeah and you know now they've, they've got a chance to finish above 500 i think it'll only be by a game or two but um and the white Sox, you know obviously they 
probably made the the highest volume of transactions among the three teams. But, you know, a lot of people are still kind of picking us in the middle of the pack. So we shall see. That's the show. We're going to talk about all that stuff coming up soon. So spring training right around the corner, fellas. All right. What I want to talk about tonight, um, we're going, turning back the clock a little bit in our own lives. Um, In accordance with this being episode 18, we're going to talk about where we were musically and where our, where baseball was. All of us were 18. So, um, my glasses were bigger. My hair was longer. Um, and really for me, 1997 marks the beginning of the granola years. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't regret them. You know, some of the some of the choices I made probably, you know, the, um, some of the string cheese incidents that I participated in. Uh, <laughs> but um, taking a look at kind of, you know, I, I was starting college in 1997. And, uh, you know, most of the stuff on the radio, that kind of seemed to be the era of like Third Eye Blind, Better Than Ezra, The Verve Pipe, you know, all these kind of just sort of generic I hate, I hate to use the word like alternative acts, you know, that were still kind of hanging around from uh, from the mid '90s, um, and all of those bands you don't hear anything from today. Um, so I kind of was, you know, I'd been listening to classic rock all throughout high school, and I think by the time you know I, I set foot on a college campus, it's like, well, you know, the new music for me is going to be, you know. <laughs> you know the, the whatever's crunchy you know i mean like i you know that's when like bootlegs started coming into play you know i started you know collecting tapes all of that stuff really happened you know that freshman year of college for me you know i got my first crow's show on maxl xl2 <laughs> you know, you to sit blanks and postage bmp right like really really primitive internet sites that, you know, or people like GeoCities sites where people <laughs> list their shows. Right? So, I mean, that was, that was the music I took then, you know, it was like, I was, I, I it was probably, it was, you know, I, I was bound to take that route. It's like, if you liked classic rock, then you went to college in the late nineties. I think it's pretty obvious that you're going to get into jam bands probably, you know, I mean, yeah. it seems that way. It was for me, at least. Natural progression. Yeah. And for most of, I mean, you, the two of you as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody yeah. was, everybody was on that bus for a little while. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, I was thinking then, you know, what if I could do it all over again? What would I be listening to? So I looked at some albums that came out in 1997, and you know, I wasn't listening to OK Computer, and I should have been probably. <laughs> um, you know. Urban Hymns by The Verve, um, a, a great record that came out that year. I probably dismissed it at the time because it was popular. You know, it was on a Nike ad, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was all over, and mm-hmm. I I picked up that record uh, probably about ten years ago or so, and I was like, wow, you know, Jesus, I should have been listening. It's a really, it's a really good record. Yeah, yeah and they're. Or a couple before that, Northern Soul and uh, whatever the other, um, yeah, those those three records in a row that they've got are are, are all really good. 
And an, another record that came out in 97, and I would not have been nearly cool enough to discover it. I don't know who would have turned me on to it anyway, because everybody was <laughs> everybody was listening to 40-minute You Enjoy Myself in my dorm room. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, um, Perfect From Now On by Built to Spill, which is just a, a fantastic record, um, also came out in 1997. So, so yeah, all three of those records are what I should have been listening to. But instead, you know, um, I was I was sharing in the groove. <laughs> but you know what? I, I don't regret it, and I, I I still like fish. So I obviously I can't say much. I still go see them. Um, I, I don't regret any of it. Uh, but it was it was uh, it was some crunchy years there. Um, and for live music, you know, that's I guess. I'll say this, you know, those years really got me out to concerts a lot. For sure. Because yeah. all of those bands, all those jam bands were touring so frequently, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, so, and you know, they would come around two, three times a year. Um, so, you know, you really had a lot of opportunities to see them. And uh, one of the shows that really kind of, you know, put me on that path was um, a friend of mine from college named Luke, um, who uh, was really kind of the one that sort of turned me on. Like, I, I, I knew the Grateful Dead before I went to college, but, you know, he he had a bunch of bootlegs, you know, yada, yada, you know how it goes. So um, he introduced me to Widespread Panic, and I, I had heard of them, like, that summer, you know, when I was about to start college, but I didn't know their music. It hadn't really reached Peter, to my knowledge, and, um, you know, he turned me on to him. He played me a couple shows. Um, I thought it was good. You know, I, I picked up a little bit on the Allman Brothers feel to it. And then, you know, he um, kind of out of the blue was like, hey, they're playing up in DeKalb at the at the student union in DeKalb at Northern Illinois University. So we drove up there and it was just, you know, it was just a fantastic show. It was like a Tuesday night, like in, you know, the little ballroom in the student union. You know, the place was probably like, half full you know probably like maybe 400 500 people there and uh yeah they just they blew the roof off the place man i found um actually found that show on video on the panic stream website somebody taped you know you can do audio or video you know the the whole show's up there and it was a really good set list full of like like a lot of the really the live staples that they do actually probably set list wise it was probably the best panic show i've ever seen wow wow yeah, I mean, they did Dear Mr. Fantasy for the encore, you know, it was... Sweet. And it stoned me, you know, during the yeah. first set. So good covers, you know, they did Chili Water, Please, Tall Boy, you know. Space, Space Wrangler. Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it was it was a pretty classic set list. Um, so, yeah, that, that really turned me on. Um, some other shows that year, you know, that summer, I, I saw Santana pre-Rob Thomas. I saw the Who do the Quadrophenia show. Um, you know, when they were... Gosh, and, and to think, like, that was 18 years ago, and I thought they were really old then. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now they're getting ready to do a 50th anniversary. Right. You, you had to go see them, you know, before they hung it up. Right, right, yeah. Um, and then uh, I saw Yes for the first time that fall down at the Fox Theater in St. Louis, which is... Ooh. Still to this day, my favorite yeah. venue. Uh, yeah, great place to see them. My favorite venue, man. Uh, just such a such a beautiful place. I 
I, uh, I'm sad that I haven't made it down there in quite a few years. So, <coughs> so yeah, for me, man, that was 1997 in music, you know, was really kind of getting on the jam band path, so to speak. Um, and as far as what I've retained from it, you know, I still listen to the dead quite frequently. I still listen to fish quite frequently. Um, obviously I got into the crows, you know, I, I, I liked them in high school, but I really, really got into them that fall in 97. And, you know, obviously they stuck around. So, you know, there's, there, there's some, um, residual effect from that era that, you know, I still cherish. So. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny how you, you know, uh, almost 20 years later and, and, uh, the stuff that sticks around and, and versus, uh, the, I like that you opened with the stuff that, uh, you should have been listening to because I, yeah, <laughs> it's, I certainly have more so, that, that I should have been listening to that no. I was. The narrative would have changed if I would have been listening to OK Computer instead of instead of Space Wrangler. Yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, all part of the story. Yeah. So, right yeah. So, moving on to 1998, Jonathan. Yeah, uh, that 1998 in music. Um, I, uh, uh, of course, I yeah, I graduated that year. Graduated high school and. Um, uh, uh, fortunately, uh, there was pretty uh, pretty good band that was going on tour that year. Ah. Um, uh, Pearl Jam was touring on on Yield, and uh, we got tickets uh, for oh we, uh, they were doing two nights at Alpine Valley and uh, then uh, a day off and then uh, playing United Center in Chicago uh, and then two days off and then they were doing Riverport in St. Louis and so had. Um, uh, went to all of those. Um, nice. And the Riverport show too. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that, that was, that was quite a trip. Uh, you know, there was a bunch of us that we took a van up, um, a buddy's van and up to Alpine and we stayed, I have a lot of family that lives near Alpine and, and uh, Burlington, Wisconsin. So we stayed, uh, uh with my aunt and uncle in there. Uh, we we're actually just going to camp in their backyard uh, I think there was, gosh, there may have been six or seven of us. And uh, first night Alpine rocked. It was intense, man, because they just packed that lawn. Alpine is just so oh, steep, yeah. you know? Yeah. And was that the time you had been to Alpine as well? Yeah, it may have been. Yeah. Yeah. And so we were uh, we were about uh, 10 people up from, uh, from the front of the lawn um, in the center. And it was, I mean, you were, there was nowhere you could go. Um, one of my buddies had to piss on a cup because uh, you couldn't go, you you couldn't get out. Right. And so, of course, you know, you're hoping that it, it, it you, you're kind of worried. And so that Pearl Jam comes out and opens with Evolution, do the Evolution. And the whole lawn just, I mean, you just start moving. Around, like, it's just a tidal wave of oh, just, yeah. you're just kind of moving with everybody. Absolutely. It was, it was nuts. Um so yeah, that, and then that was just the first night, and uh, go back, um, uh, and and you know uh, camping in the backyard, and, and my uncle comes out. It's like three, four in the morning, and you know it's really windy. And my uncle uh, says, uh, "Hey, you guys might want to come in. There's a pretty big storm coming." So uh, uh, we we go in the house, uh, which incidentally is the same house that my my mom grew up in, and uh, we all pack like sardines at the uh, bedroom at the end of the hall. 
and um, sure enough, this huge ass storm busted through, and and so he really saved us there. But um, you know, and then the, uh, in between the shows, um, the van that we drove up in actually a guy pulled out in front of us, and, and there was a, a big wreck. It was pretty scary. Oh, wow. um, the guy was uh, the guy that hit us uh, and pulled out in front of us was pretty bloodied and. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty scary. And so anyway, the, the van was all beat up as a result. And, you know, um, my buddy's trying to fix it in the, um, uh, in the driveway the next day and everything. And so they get, you know, like the coat hangers and water and, and water and kind of, you know, it's good enough to go. And so, um, you know, second show at Alpine and then head over to, uh, Chicago for the show at United Center. Um, Gabe, did we meet up with you there? Yeah. 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 So, uh, Gabe, uh, Gabe, you and I uh, uh, had those fan club seats in the back of the floor. This is before seniority mattered in the fan club. Back of the floor uh, seats in an arena are kind of the worst seats you can have in the house. And uh, Sound being pretty bad. That yeah, day. yeah, yeah. And uh, at one point uh, during the encore of uh, that, you know, they start ripping up uh, Bob O'Reilly. And I look to my right, and you were just gone. Huh. You were nowhere to be seen. Right. And, and uh, you had run up to the front, right? Right, I ran up to the front and probably a little bit juvenile, but um, the people who were in the front row were very cool to me, and uh, I didn't, I didn't like invade their. I, I, I guess I, in the midst of all the chaos, I tried to be somewhat respectful. I guess. Yeah, yeah, so, and it's the encore. It's, there's only like a song and a half to go, so yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was. Yeah, something came over me. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It was it was pretty. It was intense. It was it was a fun time. And then so we uh, uh, we drove. Um, actually, I went ended up going home that night um, with another friend um, all the way downstate. And apparently, in the van came the next day, and that van uh, made it uh, to his driveway, <laughs> broke down in that driveway, and never started again. <laughs> um, was a fucking trip. Oh man, no, no doubt, no doubt. So yeah, the you know the four four PJ shows in a week is Oof. is a badge of honor. Um, that was really a in a in the live setting a kind of a turning point for them. Yeah, you know, that tour. Yeah, um, it was Cameron's first tour. Yep, yep. But um, they just they they became tighter live mm-hmm. on the PGA tour, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, and you know, with in their repertoire built up, so they could start to mix up the set list a bit more. Um, that's the live on two legs tour for anybody who's curious. Uh, yeah. Official release. Five LPs under their belt at that point. Yeah. So they mix up the set list. You know. Yep. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. No. No doubt. That was. Uh, that was a solid. Solid tour. Um. Uh, Horde Festival. Uh, with Ben Harper. <laughs> that's his autograph. That's his scribbled autograph. Um. Uh, actually made it out to San Francisco that year, uh, just a little family vacation. Oh, nice. And uh, I drug my older sister. I wanted to go to the Fillmore to see anybody. I didn't care who it was, and I was fortunate enough to catch uh, Stephen Stills uh, at the Fillmore uh, while I was out there. Um, uh, in September, I uh, saw the Crows at the uh, at the Rave. That's, ah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's Rich's autograph on there, if you can see it glistening. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, that was September. Uh, that was the same time I started dating my future wife, uh, to give you a little perspective of time. Uh, moving on to October, um, uh, Mud Honey and Mike Watt, which was a solid show. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> my wife is <laughs> letting her presence be known after 18 years. Um, Mud Honey, Mike Watt, uh, Mike Watt was doing the, uh, 
contemplating the engine room tour that year. Uh, Nels Klein on guitar, and uh, and they performed it in its entirety, uh, opening up for Mud Honey, and uh, they uh, they went balls to the wall along with Mud Honey that night. Uh, it was pretty phenomenal. Nice. Where was that? At, where was that? Was that at the Double Door? Uh, n- no, that was at the Metro. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, it closed closed out the year two nights back to back at the Aragon. Gabe with you. Yes. Um, Blues Traveler, uh, December 30th and the 31st. Wow. Remember that? Salmon opened up for those shows. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that was kind of the the last throws of the, the Blues Traveler era there. The, you know, era one. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, Bobby, yeah. A few months later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so, and you you were talking about what you know, what you were listening to versus what you should have been listening to, uh, you know. And I dug through all my CDs, and uh, there were only uh, two albums that I think I bought when they came out. Um, you know, three: uh, Yield, uh, Dose, mm-hmm. uh, and and then that Mud Honey record that they were touring on that year. Um, oh. Pretty solid stuff, you know. Can't complain there. Yeah. That's one of my favorite Mud yeah. Honey records. Um, uh, also came out that year that I didn't get until later. Uh, uh, Bell and Sebastian, Boy with the Arab Strap. Um, pretty seminal album, Neutral Milk Hotel. Uh, uh, Jeff Buckley uh, kind of collected uh, works that he was working on when he died. Um, Gomez, Bring It On. Great album. And uh, one of my favorite Elliott Smith records, EXO. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, um, and yeah, all that stuff I didn't get until I was in college or after. Uh, uh, so it's it's all still pretty much rock oriented. So it wasn't like venturing too far out, but um, sure. uh, pretty pretty solid stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Well, yeah, um, nineteen ninety nine. That would have been my year when I was the one A. And so I had a lot to live up to because Prince told me it was going to be an awesome fucking year. So <laughs> I, I had to, a lot to live up to with that. Um, just as like an overview of some of the music then that out of a lot of this, like I really probably only listened to maybe the Red Hot Chili Peppers. That was when the year they came out with Californication, which was their first album in like almost 10 years with John Frusciante back on it star work on that record and so um that was that was a decent record and i think it's an important record in their in their progression as as artists um but some of the rest of it as gabe mentioned that was the year that santana teamed up with uh (laughs) yeah from matchbox 20 and michelle branch and whoever he like they basically took him to the like record studio and there were like other mainstream popular artists of the time there and he's like let's just have all these guys on my record yeah clive davis <laughs> is popular right now <laughs> yes and so uh yeah that was that was awful um we were introduced to britney spears that year that was britney spears uh hit me baby one more time so yeah the downfall of society can be traced back to 1999 guys um <laughs> That was also the year the the introduction of Slim Shady, the uh, the the alter ego of Marshall Mathers, also known as Eminem, 
And that sold a lot of copies. He's rapping about the same shit. Yeah, right? God, that, that, between those three albums, actually, that's those are three huge, probably the biggest selling albums in a decade. Probably oh, yeah? between those three, like 40 million. Ah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, uh, another kind of interesting thing was uh, the first Coachella was in 99. Oh, yeah? And it had um, Beck, the Chemical Brothers, Tool... Rage Against the Machine and Morrissey. Wow, there. that was that was the first the first lineup for Coachella. Hmm, that's solid. And then another festival that was well known and well talked about was Woodstock '99, <laughs> and uh, it was basically the anti music festival, and it was all about corporate greed and you know selling anything with Pepsi's logo on it. Like, it, as many things as they could put a Pepsi logo and Woodstock 99 on, they would. And it ended in fires. and You, you know they, how much those in. tickets were, though, for Woodstock 99? Like 150 bucks. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is compared nothing. To, yeah, compared to today. Right. Yeah. I mean, it takes 300 bucks to get into Bonnaroo now, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 There were some good bands that played that that year. Like 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 Mo played it um, in ninety. Oh really? Yeah, like Strange Folk, like all the crunchy bands I was listening to at the time played it as well. I don't know how well they received they were with with Corn on the bill, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to touch on some of the artists that we lost in ninety nine. Um, Mel Torme passed away that year. I was rocking Dusty. some Mel earlier this week. Yeah, Dusty Springfield ninety four in Springfield. Yeah, uh, Rick Danko from the band. He passed away. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember uh, that. Yeah. Curtis Mayfield. He also passed away <laughs> that year. And uh, Dick from the Dick's Picks series of the Grateful Dead. Wow. Uh, oh. Dick Dick Letvalia Letavla. I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name. Yeah. But um, as far as my musical experiences at the time, I would have been a senior in high school, like everybody else was in their year. Um, I saw a lot of shows. I, I found my tickets, and I have a lot of them. And my first show of the year was in January. Uh, January 19th at Rosemont Horizon, I saw Black Sabbath and Pantera. Was Sweet. The, was the opener. Yeah. And I'll never forget the show for one reason was that it was the worst seats I've ever had at a concert <laughs> ever. And they were all the way behind the stage and up, like in the mezzanine. Nice. So I could see like the front half of the stage, but you could also see everything behind the stage. Uh, and so I could see the guys getting ready when Pantera was playing and they wheeled a huge cart full of drinks and they were like solo cups and each had like a half a drink in each cup. I don't know if it was beer or whiskey or what. And so they would grab the cups, Dimebag Daryl and Phil and Selmo, and they would heave these cups into the audience. And like guys would like catch them and like chug the beer and like throw the cups. It was one of the craziest things I'd ever been a part of. That would have been the first, that would have been the reunion tour. Uh, uh, for Black Sabbath, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And um, so after that, my tickets at shows, I didn't see another show until May, but then I saw like four in a matter of about a month. And, um, 
The first one of those was May 5th at Riverport was Lenny Kravitz and the Black Crows. <laughs> oh, and yeah. And so that, that would have been on the By Your Side tour, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I can just remember we didn't stay for Lenny Kravitz. Like, as soon as the Black Crows got done, I think we hung out and, like, the first song I think Lenny Kravitz started with, he started the song playing guitar and halfway through the song like some tech ran out and grabbed the guitar and then he like grabbed the mic and like went to his knees and was singing and i was like okay then leave and so we <laughs> and so we left <laughs> hindsight maybe i should have stayed and saw the rest of the liddy kravitz show who knows <laughs> stuff off like a mama said and <laughs> yeah that would have been all right yeah th- this wasn't the are you gonna go my way to her you know uh after that, on May 23rd, I saw up in Chicago at Tinley Park, it was Aerosmith. And it doesn't say on the ticket, but I'm almost positive this was the show, because I saw Aerosmith about seven times back then. Mm. Um, I think Monster Magnet was the opener uh-uh. for, for that, their their radio hit that they had. They uh, somehow got hooked up with Aerosmith and were the opener. Interesting. It, and that was a really good show. Um, Aerosmith, I, I say this all the time, I'll hold up for live Aerosmith, man. They always put on a really good live show. And, I mean, granted, they have to play, you know, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing and stuff like that. But they also always played really deep cuts, too. They would play, like, Lord of the Thighs. They would play No More, No More. They would play They would play good old Aerosmith songs to where, like, if you were a deep, cut Aerosmith fan, you would walk away happy most of the time. The next show was May 28th, also at Tinley Park, and that was John Cougar Mellencamp and Sunvolt. And who's still around, I guess. You don't hear much if they are. <clears throat> I think they still tour. I mean, Jay Farrar's the only, like, original member. Member now, yeah. And that would have, when, when you saw it, well, I saw him that tour as well, and uh, <clears throat> that would have been the the original foursome that played on those first three records. Yeah. He had those two brothers in the band. I, I forgot their names, but yeah. Well, and so in right after that, I would have graduated high school and it wasn't, but like two weeks after that, that I ended up going to college to DeVry up in Chicago. And believe it or not, while I was at DeVry, I didn't go to any concerts. I, uh, I, I Ferris Bueller did. I skipped a lot of school and went to Cubs games. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I ended up not liking DeVry, and I came back home, and my last show of the year was the last day of the year. It was uh, New Year's Eve of the Millennium, and this is at the Pontiac Silverdome in Pontiac, Michigan, and it was Metallica, Ted Nugent, Kid Rock, and Seven Dust was the band. <laughs> party. And, uh, oh, it was a huge party. The uh, the backstory on this is my buddy Daryl was in the Metallica fan club and he had always wanted to go see them at like a huge event like this and he got the tickets and we had really good tickets and um he met a guy on the Metallica fan club forum and he lived in Chicago and this guy we drove to his house never met him in our life and we drove with him from Chicago over to Detroit. 
yeah. And and so it turns out we get to this guy's house, and he's the biggest Scorpions fan I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he has he has three three copies of every Scorpions record. He's like, this is the unopened copy. Here is a UK version. This is the German import. Uh, yeah, the guy wow. was really hardcore about the Scorpions, and he was a bartender. He was like and so black. He's like, tell me how you feel. Scorpion. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he brought a case of alcohol, and we were underage. And he's like, "Oh, you guys can help me drink it." I'm like, "Okay." And so we we got in a car with a guy we've never met before, and uh, went and saw Metallica. Hell. And it was it was a great show. Uh, they played you know all the great songs. It was still with Jason Newstead and um, Ted Nugent was good that night. He uh, he. I'll never forget. He rode a live buffalo onto the stage in a full in a full Indian chief headdress, and then got off of the buffalo and then did the whole flaming arrow into the guitar. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kid Rock, when he played on both sides of the drummer, like there were it was like first starting to gain popularity. Oh yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, on each side of the drummer were two stripper poles with like two of the hottest strippers I've ever seen in my life going to town the whole the whole concert while he played. Uh, that midget that was still alive? Uh, yeah, he was there. <laughs> Joey C or whatever. Yeah, he was he was his hype man. You got any good rapper has a hype man. Come on. <laughs> oh, that's great. Man. Yeah, so I wrapped up ninety nine in style. Pontiac, that's, Michigan. That's sweet. From the new millennium, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Shit a couple of years ago. The three of us could have bought the Pontiac Silver. Yeah. <laughs> it went for like five hundred grand. Wow! Yeah, jeez, so, that's crazy. Cost four hundred grand just to blow it up. There was about seventy thousand people there. Something crazy uh, like that. Sixty. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Nuts, y'all. That's brave of you to go to Detroit to ring in the millennium. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We were, it was like, oh, you know, Y2K. Oh, the world's gonna end. It's like, well, we're gonna die at Metallica. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> and that's awesome. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Now for baseball, um, do we lose Levi? No. No, he's still. Yeah, you're, you're you're frozen. We're just gonna have to deal with it. We, we can hear you. <laughs> Am I frozen? Really? It's glorious pause. <laughs> it's, it's much more flattering this time around. <laughs> Look like you're singing a Bruno Mars song. <laughs> Do you want me to? I can turn off video and turn it back on. No, no, no. no. <laughs> so, talking about baseball um, in those years, kind of grim years for the White Sox. You know, we were kind of um, sort of. Seemed like we were always mired in second or third place, usually with like a an eighty two and eighty two or an eighty and eighty two record. Um, so I started to look back at the nineteen ninety seven season for baseball, and uh, as a lot of people know, um, as most people know, that was the year the the Florida Marlins' first championship, and you know they had really only been a franchise for about four years. It's amazing. And, uh, I knew Bonilla was on the team. But I started looking at the rest of the lineup, um, and, uh, you know, 
it, it was a good lineup. I they played the Indians that year, and I think the Indians had a much better lineup. I'll get to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a a twenty year old Edgar Renteria on the Marlins that year. Um, you had Jeff Conine, the Barbarian, um, Charles Johnson, yeah, yep. around for a while. Um, Moses, uh, Moses Salu, who was already 30 at that point. Yeah. It's like, wow. yeah. <laughs> no. Um, uh, you know, a, a holdover from our baseball card collecting days, Devon White. Sweet. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, and then you had Sheffield was on that team as well. So, um, you know, it was, it was a lot of high priced talent. Um, you know, Sheffield in the prime of his career, um, you know, Bonilla near the end of it, but still, still productive. Um, Jim Eisenreich was on the bench. Was the Al Leiter in that rotation? What's that? Al Leiter, was he in that rotation? Um, yes. Kevin Brown, Al Leiter, Alex Fernandez. <laughs> um, guy named Tony Saunders. <laughs> Levon Hernandez, only 22. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um... A lot of the other dudes, I don't. Um, Felix Heredia, I remember him. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of the other, a lot of the other pitchers. Um, you know, they had they had Brown and uh, and Leiter and Fernandez. So that was a pretty good one through mm-hmm. at that point. Um, I remember Kevin Brown was just being like he would just he was being paid a shitload of money, um, like he was most of his career, right? And, and wasn't that great? Um, uh, Darren Dalton was on the team that year. Yeah. Um, and then Cliff Floyd was, um, mm-hmm. was the team as well. So a lot of big names, Craig council, um, was on the team. John Cangalosi, um, Mark Kotze, 21 year old Mark Kotze. <laughs> so yeah, a lot, of, a lot of big names on that Marlin team. And then, you know, the story goes the next year, the team, <laughs> they just blew the whole thing up. That was probably, um, Probably one of the World Series where, um, gosh, probably uh, the least enthusiastic reception from a city, you know? I mean, like, to this day, like, Miami hasn't even adopted the Marlins, you know? I mean, yeah. so I uh, I can't imagine, like, it was pandemonium down in Florida when they won. Um, and if it, it was, it was short-lived. But to me, the Cleveland team was better that year. You know, you've got Jim Tomey, he's 26, hitting his stride. He had 40 home runs that year, right? Um, you got Omar Vizquel, already 30, but still... Somewhat really? He was 30? Jeez. Um, such a great player. Um, Matt Williams was on that Cleveland team. I barely remember him playing for the No. Year. Yeah, I kind of do. Yeah. Was, was Albert Bell already gone? What's that? Albert Bell was gone. Yeah, he was with the White Sox, actually. Or no? Oh, okay. He was there with Baltimore or the White Sox. <laughs> uh, let me hold on. I've got the White Sox page up here. Yeah, Albert Bell was on the White Sox. Okay. Um, Sandy Alomar, dude, hit three twenty four that year. Wow. Yeah. I wow. Did not know that. Yeah. So Sandy Alomar, um, Marquise Grissom. Uh, obviously, the big one, Manny Ramirez. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Huge season that year. Um, home run was a little low. He was only 25 at the time. 
Dude hit 328 that year. So, oh, and also, I'm sorry, David Justice was the DH, and he hit 329. So, yeah. you're looking at this. They were raking. Looking at this team here, man. You got three guys hitting over 320. Yeah. Alomar, Ramirez, awesome. Justice. Nobody in the lineup is hitting below 262. You got two guys in the 280s. Tony Fernandez, veteran Tony Fernandez, was on that team. Mm-hmm. That was a hell of a team, man. Yeah. 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 That. And then that was um, in 97. Oh, no. I thought they still had Hershiser. They didn't have Hershiser. Oh, wait, did they? Yes, they did. They still had Hershiser. Oh, did they? Yeah, he was 38. Um, they had Hershiser. Um, Charles Nagy, um, Bartolo Colon, a young Bartolo Colon. Yeah, um, no kidding. Wow. Yeah, Eric Plunk. Right. Huh. Uh, Jack McDowell was on that Cleveland team. Really? Yeah. Paul Ossenmacher. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, hell of a – but that lineup, man. I'll just run through it really quickly. Alomar, Tomey, Fernandez, Biscell, Matt Williams – Brian Giles, um, Marquise Grissom, Manny Ramirez, David Justice. That's a that's a team, man. Was that the order order? Uh, I don't I don't I don't think so. Oh, okay, okay. I was like, Tommy Batten second. That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> point there. Um, but uh, that's that's the lineup. That's that's who they they were rolling out every day. Yeah, and quite honestly, I mean, that was probably Cleveland's best shot at a championship uh, uh, well, in fifty there years. Was a- yeah, and there was I remember there was some Cleveland apparel around. You would see guys in Cleveland stuff. Well, yeah, that was when um that stadium wasn't very old. Remember right. Jacobs Field, you know, it had only been yeah. a couple years. And that place every time I saw it on TV was just a madhouse. They had a record for a, a record streak for sellouts that went on for years. And you know what? Last year or the year before, they had the worst attendance in baseball. Yeah. Yeah. So Knock it down. Build another one. That's right. That's right. So yeah, you know that's that's what stood out to me really in baseball that year was, you know, the Marlins blowing up. Just God, just a hell. I <clears throat> I couldn't remember if they played the Yankees before I looked all this up. I was like, oh, I think they played the Yankees that year, but no, it was the Indians um, who had their second World Series appearance in three years. Yeah, went ninety five against the Braves. But yeah, just just a hell of a team in Cleveland that year. Just a just a solid veteran. Well, aside from Manny and Manny and Tommy were young, but just a just a hell of a team. Yeah. So, so that's baseball in 1997 for wow. me. Yeah, that's. Um... Uh, it was uh, you know going into '98. Unfortunately, we get into some Yankee heyday, uh, which you know kind of makes us all a little nauseous. Um, but at 98 is, uh, I think, uh, even though the Yankees won 114 games in 98. Jesus. Uh, which is a lot of freaking games. There were some teams that year that finished like 50 games out of first place. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the Rays, I believe. Um, so, but, you know, the year is going to be more remembered for the uh, for the home run chase. Uh, obviously, Sosa McGuire. Um Four players hit 50 home runs that year, uh, including uh, uh, King Griffey Jr. and Greg Vaughn hit 50 that year. Wow. Um, Walking? Uh, no, San Diego. Greg Vaughn was the centerpiece in that lineup that faced the Yankees in the World Series. 
Yeah, it's hard to believe the Padres went to the World Series. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, hey, somebody had to get Wally Joyner back there. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, Kerry Wood, Levi, Kerry Wood, uh, was a rookie that year. Uh, one rookie of the year struck out 20 at one point. Um, uh, also was overused at the end of the year, right? (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the story. That's the story of the Cubs with great pitchers. We tend to burn them out young. Jim, Jim Riggleman um, left him out there too long or something. Oh yeah. The, uh, and, and part of me hates that fact that it that Wood at least never got like a World Series or something like that because now it's like when they talk about Wood, that's all they talk about is the injury. That's a huge yeah. achievement. Yeah, but yeah. like he's much a better pitcher than that. I mean, he was consistent for years. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, it's, I, but they it, made the playoffs that I, year, right? Yeah, I, I always liked... 98. Yeah, they, what, we were the wild card, I think, in 98. Yeah, yep. And so, um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. Oh, he was one of those guys, him and Dempster, they're two guys, you know, you wish you could have seen them get a ring, but... Yeah. Or as a Cub, at least. Dempster got one as a Red Sox. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, though he wasn't a huge contributor to that team. Yeah. Um, uh, and actually, I, I saw Kerry Wood a few months ago at a Pearl Jam show in St. Louis. Uh, at one point, he was on stage with a tambourine. So, nice. Um, but anyway, uh, let's get back to that season. Sosa hits 20 in June, 20 home runs in June alone. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Randy Johnson got traded uh, to the Astros, uh, uh, where he pitched for two months. Uh, and he still earned Cy Young votes in the National League for only pitching there for two months. I mean, he was so dominant. He was like 13-2 and or something. It was ridiculous. Um, uh, and then, uh, so McGuire hit 62. I happened to be in St. Louis that night, as I've said before, um, with that little laser beam uh, over left field wall. Um, that night, you know, you know who made his debut that night in that game, in the middle of the game? J.D. Drew. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Who was who had who was drafted like uh, uh, just a couple months prior? He was drafted that year. Um, uh, also drafted that uh, Pat Pat Burrell was the number one pick that year uh, oh, yeah. in June. Uh, Mark Mulder, Corey Patterson, Levi uh, was oh, picked gosh. that year. <laughs> Five tool Corey <laughs> Patterson. <laughs> God. Um, uh, as far as like the the big names in that draft, uh, uh, CC Sabathia. Aaron Rowand. Um, yeah. uh, later picks that turned out to be pretty damn good. Uh, Adam Dunn, Matt Holliday, Mark Deshera, and Cliff Lee, um, who were picked in the later rounds. Good class, man. Yeah, oh. yeah. Not, no, actually, the, the later class was better than the, the first and second early, round. Yeah. Um, so, and at one point that year, Sosa overtook uh, 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 McGuire um, for like a half a day when he hit his 66th. And McGuire... Uh, tied it back up that night and then hit two in each of his last two games to hit yeah. 70. Captivated the nation, man. And, yeah. and, you know, yeah, and I, and I did go to a game that year down in St. Louis. My dad took me down there, and, and McGuire had a few at-bats. He, I don't know, he grounded out a few times probably and uh, definitely didn't hit a home run. Uh, so, yeah, it was, you know, if we were making an effort to go down to go to a Cardinals game, then, uh, yeah, it was everybody 
Uh, everybody was just absolutely captivated, and we were just so blind to it all, you know. It, oh yeah, well, yeah. And you look back at there's cards and like posters, and McGuire's forearms are just like huge, like bulging. I, yeah, we just wanted to believe that it was all Andrew oh, yeah, Steen. Yeah, I, no, I was there too. I, yeah. I was like, hey, I would have believed there was a guy on the Cubs that's worth a shit. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and it's interesting that uh, Sosa won the MVP that year. Um, because, uh, you know, he, his team went to the, uh, playoffs while McGuire hardly garnered any votes, even though he had technically better numbers, but it's the Cardinals didn't, weren't competitive that year. Yep. Juan Gonzalez won the AL MVP for what it's worth. Juan well, <laughs> Yep. <laughs> so, um. And yeah, like I said, uh, uh, the Yankees, uh, beat the Padres. Yeah. Well, yeah. Series. And, the, you know, to make... Even worse. That's basically where my story starts. But yeah. hold hold on, real quick though. Uh, my my Red Wings began their championship season uh, that year, nice. ninety eight. Yes. Um, uh, Federal. Yep. Uh, nice. So. Uh, um, no, I'm sorry. I I. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it was ninety seven, ninety eight. Um, so they actually won it that year. Year. Um, yeah. in in uh, May or June of that year. So the wings, all all those Russians. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah. So baseball in '99 is more of the same. Uh, the Yankees swept the Braves four to nothing in the World Series, and so yeah, Mariano Rivera, World Series MVP, yawn. Yeah. '97 <laughs> <laughs> to '99 were probably. Years I didn't follow baseball that closely, other than the McGuire Sosa thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, there are some some nice numbers that, that stick out. Um, Larry Walker hit three seventy nine that year. Yeah, which which I did not realize. I didn't realize he was that close to hitting four hundred. That and, was probably um, the year he hit like four seventy at Coors. Yeah. Uh, Manny Ramirez that year had 165 RBIs. Jeez, God. <laughs> yeah, is that not outrageous? Uh, the National League MVP was Chipper Jones, and um, the American League MVP was Yvonne Rodriguez. And the two Cy Young Award winners are the two guys who went into the hall together this year, Pedro and uh, Randy Johnson. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they they were both the Cy Young Award winners. Well, and and Pedro's year that year is considered one of the greatest years of all time for any pitcher. Oh yeah, yeah. The um, uh, Tony Gwynn got his three thousandth hit, and um, the Hall of Fame class was George Brett, Robin Yount, Orlando Cepeda, and Nolan Ryan. So that's a pretty good Hall of Fame that's class. Solid. Uh, the Cubs, my team, were awful. They were thirty games behind. Um, they finished sixty year before. Yeah, oh, yeah, they they were sixty seven and ninety five that year. Yikes! Um, believe it or not, there were two teams worse than them. The Marlins lost ninety eight games, and the Twins lost ninety seven. So, um, yeah, the Cubs were awful. After having an all right year, making the wild card and everything in ninety eight, they uh, they certainly tanked in ninety nine. There's also an interesting fact that, you know, you wouldn't normally hear out of my mouth because it's out of a, about a Cardinal player. But I'd have to mention this. In April of that year, Fernando Tatis of the Cardinals hit two grand yep. slams in the same inning. Yep. All right. Yep. 
right off yep. of the same pitcher. So yeah. it became like very historical. He's the only guy to hit two home two grand oh, slams yeah. in the same inning, and then there's this pitcher that gave up two grand slams in the same inning. So I just think I thought that was a pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty right. <laughs> yeah, two grand slams in the same inning, eight RBIs he finished the game with. Yeah. Oh, so well, he was he was shit after that inning. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not productive at all. <laughs> yeah. He basically took the rest of the game off, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, so, 99. Not not that exciting in baseball, in my book, just because it was another year of more of the same Yankees. And yeah, the, the Yankees mid- were in cruise control. Yeah, in the Midwest, it was like, uh... <laughs> it was like, it's just another year of the Yankees. Yeah, those three, those three in a row, they had 98 to 2000, were just... Yeah. Well, and that was dominant. Like I said, they swept the Braves... And it's not like the Braves were an awful team. You know what I mean? Right. And, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good stuff, guys. Um, so that was us at 18. I want to go ahead now and uh, for the for closing it out, some new music recommendations. Well, it doesn't have to be new, but um, some stuff you've discovered lately that uh, you'd like to share with our listeners. Um, the band that um, I've been digging on lately is a band out of Detroit. Um, it's this band called The Sights. I don't know if you guys have heard of them before. Um, they are kind of a sort of a garage rock type band. Um, you know, it's kind of got a, a sort of a mid to late '60s kind of mod feel to it. Um, and you know, it's kind of an inner. It's sort of a typical story. Like they, they got some buzz in the early aughts when, um, when like the Strokes and the Hives and the White Stripes really emerged. You know, that's sort of what people were calling kind of garage rock revival mm-hmm. um, in the early two thousands. They opened for Robert Plant on a tour, hmm. signed with Warner uh, with uh, with New Line Records. They had a song on the Wedding Singers soundtrack. Uh, sure. And, you know, I and, you know, they're still together. Um, you know, they they kind of I think seems like it's sort of like a part time thing now. But, um, yeah, the I discovered them on on our crew. Uh, I've been on I was on a Mooney Suzuki kick a few days and, uh, you know, I clicked on related artists and these guys came up and I really dig them. Um, the album uh, that that really that I like a lot here. Let me, uh, it's called Got What We Want. It's, uh, from 2002. And so, yeah, the band is called The Sights. So, uh, is that S I T E S or S I G H T S? With a little bit of, uh, a little bit of, you know, kind of sort of 60s folk thrown in at times, too. Mm. It's really good stuff, man. The Sights. Is it S I T E S or S I G H T S? Yep. The latter. <laughs> What? Sorry. How do you spell it? Oh, sites. Uh, S-I-G-H-T-S. Okay. All right. <laughs> nice. Um, I'll go next, I guess. Um, okay. Uh, mine is a, a, a Swedish band uh, that uh, it's it's kind of um, experimental fusion Afrobeat. It's called Goat. Uh, and 
the album's called Commune. Uh, this album came out uh, last year. They have one other record that's really great as well. Uh, it's it's pretty intense and unusual, and uh, but at the same time, I mean, it, it rocks. Uh, there, there's a track on here um, that I was listening to it today, and the first uh, 20 seconds, you'd swear it was the Who, and then all of a sudden goes into something completely different, um, and uh, uh, so it's it's pretty unique, and they they have quite a stage presence as well. So yeah, I'll, I'll probably post something from YouTube on there. Uh, so um, uh, yeah, Goat Commune. My recommendation, I pulled it from the dollar bin. It's Duran Duran's first record. It's got the hit, Girls on Film. And when I showed it to my wife, she asked me, are all those people on the cover guys? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. It's kind of like Poison's Look What the Cat Dragged In. (laughs) I was like, the first time I saw that record, I was like, when I was like seven, I was like, whoa. (laughs) These these women are beautiful. Right. <laughs> That's uh, a good record, man. No, like uh, I, I, I like all Duran Duran's stuff. I, I, I'm not afraid to say it. So, yeah, man, dollar bin goodness. Good deal. Good yeah. deal. Well, guys. Uh... <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> now you're going. I'm going to go ahead and sign off for us. It's uh, This has been Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu, episode 18. Uh, we'll see you again real soon. Bye.